you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn into 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, but before we get started, we have another testimony. Uh, my friend Meredith is going to come on up and share something that uh, didn't happen yesterday or the day before or a month ago, but happened actually this morning. So why don't you share what happened this morning? Recently, the Lord has just really been showing to me um, my priesthood and that he is totally enough um, to do a work in us and have us do work through him. Um, so I've been discipling this friend of mine who was raised in the Catholic Church. Um, and a few weeks ago, she expressed interest in being baptized. And uh, I said something about, oh, I could do that. And she was like, you can baptize me? You don't need to be a priest? Like, don't we have to meet with someone? And I was like, no, we can do that. So this morning, before dawn, um, we went to the beach, and I just showed her the passages about um, who can baptize and how the Lord tells us to baptize others. And then we stepped into the cold water of Lake Michigan, and my friend was baptized, and we just praised God. Awesome. Thank you so much. What a cool, what a cool testimony of just somebody walking in simple obedience that, yeah, all of us, as followers of Jesus, if we lead someone to the Lord and they haven't been baptized— you have the, the power, the authority to baptize them. And what a beautiful place we live in, West Michigan. And you can go right out to the lake, even though it's a little chilly, and baptize somebody. And it is absolutely amazing. And so if you want to learn more about that and even learn how Meredith did that this morning, go talk to her after the service. Seek her out and say, how did you do that? And uh, she can share that with you. And uh, maybe there's somebody in your life that uh, just came to the Lord and you're discipling. I want to encourage you to, uh, to seek their next step and possibly go out and... Uh, See them get baptized uh, out in Lake Michigan. So let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We've been going through 2 Corinthians this summer. And we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And starting, uh, I want to read, starting in verse 5. Paul says, when we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. We face conflict from every direction, with battles on the outside and fear on the inside. Well, I want to stop there for a second. I mean, Paul is talking about uh, a time just previously in 2 Corinthians, where he had come across some opposition. He had come across some opposition at the church in Corinth. They uh, were not speaking too favorably of Paul. They were questioning what he had done. They were questioning what he had said. They were questioning his legitimacy as apostle of Jesus, as somebody who was uh, going around and sharing the gospel. They were attacking him, not, um, they were attacking his character. And so here we see in, in verse 5 that Paul was discouraged. I love the realness of scripture because here we see that Paul, mighty Paul, faced conflict on every side, external conflict, but we also get a peek into his heart where it says, on the outside we face battles, but there was fear on the inside. Fear on the inside. Of the Apostle Paul, fear on the inside. And I think we can so resonate with that. We can resonate with Paul with his realness that there is fear on the inside. And, and perhaps you're here this morning and there is a battle raging on inside. Perhaps this morning, even though we have had a number of testimonies, a number of encouraging words, perhaps you come this morning a little discouraged. Discouraged externally because there's conflict 
in your life, or there's conflict with, with people in your life, or your living situation, or your life situation is not filled with peace, there is filled with conflict. And so you know when Paul says there are battles on the outside, that is very real for you this morning. But if that's not true for you, maybe the other is true. Maybe there's battles on the inside. Maybe you're discouraged internally, and when Paul says there is fear on the inside, that really resonates with you. You might have this soundtrack that plays over and over in your mind. The enemy feeding lies that you're not good enough, that you should have done this or that. You should have said this to that person. And all of these thoughts enter your mind, and the soundtrack repeats over and over and over again in your head. And if it's not the soundtrack that repeats over in your mind, perhaps you're discouraged because you're constantly comparing yourself with others. That's what I appreciate about what Brad shared this morning, the honesty in which he shared. Perhaps you look around and you're discouraged and you have fear inside because you are comparing yourself to people that you see. And the number one thing about comparison is that when we compare what we know about ourselves to what we don't know about other people, we always end up being the loser. We think, oh, their family is perfect, or oh, their life is perfect, and I wish I was like that. So you can be discouraged externally or internally, or maybe even you get discouraged by, by what you hear, things that, that maybe people say about you. Or maybe you come in here and you're like discouraged, you're like, oh, I didn't do this, that, or the other thing, and there is this discouragement that weighs heavy on your shoulders. I love that Paul was real. That scripture is real, that we get to see, we get the peek into the life of Paul, that there were battles on the outside, but there was a fear raging on the inside as well. But verse 6, but God. Every time I come across that phrase in scripture, I underline it. I think that is one of the most powerful phrases in all of scripture, but God. I think it would be perfect on a tombstone, but God. My life was this way, but God stepped in and completely changed my life, but God. Over and over again, there are stories in scripture that says life was going this way, but God stepped in in a powerful way. You are an enemy of God, but God, who's rich in mercy, sent his son Jesus for you. Joseph was in slavery, but God was with him. It's a powerful pr phrase. Here we see Paul discouraged, but verse 6 starts saying, But God, who encourages those who are discouraged. Encourages those who are discouraged. This is the very character of God. This is the very heart of who God is. He doesn't leave us to be discouraged and wallow in our sorrow and pity, but God moves powerfully towards those who are discouraged and encourages them, fills them, comforts them, spurs them on. And so here we see an amazing picture of God moving towards Paul and Paul really feeling it and experiencing that God encourages those who are discouraged. But I come across this passage and then I say, okay, that's awesome that God does that. That's awesome that he encourages those who are discouraged, but how does he do that? Does, does God come alongside of Paul and say, okay, just keep going. Pat him on the back. You can do it, camper. <laughs> no. It says this. Let's read on. He encourages us by the arrival of Titus. His presence was a joy, but so was the news he brought of the encouragement he received from you. When he told us how much you longed to see me, how sorry you are for what happened, and how loyal you are to me, I was filled 
with joy. Paul finds great encouragement, great joy in the transformation that had happened in the life of the Corinthian church. I mean, if we remember the life of the Corinthian church, they're a pretty messed up group. They were sinning like crazy. There was huge problems in the church in Corinth. And then on top of that, they were attacking him as a person and his character. And all of a sudden now, because of the arrival of Titus and the word that Titus brings, there is a huge transformation in the life of those in Corinth. Their life is completely transformed. And Paul finds so much encouragement in that. He goes on in verse 8. He says this. He says, I'm not sorry that I sent you the severe letter to you. Though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. As Paul's talking about writing 1 Corinthians. He says, now I am glad I sent it to you, not because it hurts you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow that God wants his people to have, so you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow which lacks repentance results in spiritual death. Just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. Such earnestness, such concern to clear yourselves, such indignation, such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal, and such a readiness to punish wrong. You showed me that you have done everything necessary to make things right. My purpose then was not to write about who did the wrong or what was wrong. I wrote to you so that in the sight of God you could see for yourselves how loyal you are to us. And we have been greatly encouraged by this. Paul was greatly encouraged by the transformation that happened in the life of the church in Corinth. They went from rejecting him to just awaiting his return, just wanting to see him. And this change was absolutely real. This change was absolutely true. And in this section, Paul talks about the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Because we know that people can be convicted. We know that people can be, feel sorry for something that had happened, but not actually turn their ways. And Paul highlights something that is important for us to think about. What brings about true change? And he highlights girl, godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow, I would say, starts off being very selfish, self-focused. Somebody is, is maybe sorry, is sorry that they got caught, sorry that they did something. But the only thing that they're thinking about is what does it mean for them? What does it mean for their reputation? What are they going to lose? And because it's self-focused, it's very religious-based, religion-based. They come across this problem, they come across what they've done, and they're like, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to, to read all these books, I'm going to do all these things, and I'm going to fix the wrong that I did. And then even if they start thinking about fixing the wrong that they did, they can quickly turn into, because it's self-focused, they can quickly turn into blaming other people and becoming the victim. But this type of sorrow, this type of worldly sorrow, doesn't produce any lasting change because it's just trying to manage sin. It's just trying to manage sin instead of getting at the very heart of what is wrong. And a person in this situation, the problem is they're, they're, they're dealing with a force that is more powerful than they are, all the while thinking that they are more powerful than it. And the result is always death. And people keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. And Paul says to the church in Corinth, you did not experience that. You experienced godly sorrow, which always starts out being first and foremost God-focused. It's a person who says, oh God, against you and you only have I sinned. I have broken the heart of the one that I love. I have hurt the, the creator of the universe, the one who gave everything for me. 
And then it quickly turns out to other focus as well. Focusing on others and how have I hurt those people around me. Godly sorrow is always gospel-driven. Understanding that we deserve punishment. But instead, we receive grace because of what Jesus has done for us. And as a result, that turns into being filled with gratitude and, and humility and saying, Oh, I've done something so wrong and I need to fix it. I need to repent. I need to turn. And so godly sorrow always produces repentance and eventually ends in salvation and life. And this is what Paul is saying to those in Corinth. You have turned your life around. You were filled with godly sorrow. And what is absolutely huge, and this is just a little side, in the moment when Paul was in a deep, dark spot, God was at work. And I want you to know that never underestimate what God has the power to do when things seem hopeless around you. Here the church in Corinth was, was messed up and there were tons of problems. And Paul was saying that there was battles all around and there was a fear raging inside. But God was powerful. God was at work in ways that Paul didn't even know of. God was transforming lives. And so if you're here this morning and you have somebody who has turned away from the Lord or a friend who is just taking wrong choice after wrong choice, I want to encourage you that keep praying, keep pursuing uh, God in prayer over them. Because God is at work even in the darkest times of our lives. God is at work in ways that we can't even see. And so Paul, writing about the church in Corinth, is greatly encouraged by the transformation that he hears about them. The change in Corinth. He's encouraged because this is the very purpose and passion of his life. He delights in seeing God at work. He takes great joy in seeing God's power and presence at work in somebody's lives. And so he's so encouraged in saying, God, encourage me through the transformation that happened in Corinth. And it encourages him. And isn't that true that, that, that true transformation always encourages us? When we see a change in somebody's life, it's like, that is so encouraging. When we hear a testimony from Brad, that's so, so encouraging. When we see God's power and presence at work in this world, we can't help but stop and say, wow, God, you're real. God, you are moving. God, you are alive. That is so encouraging today. I mean, how many of you were encouraged this week as you saw the transformation that took place across the news? As 13 people were in a cave. Ten days before somebody found them. And then all of a sudden, two British divers in the cave in Thailand came across those 13 individuals stranded in the cave. And they popped through the water, and maybe you've seen that video. They popped through the water, and they see those boys, and there was so much encouragement that they're not dead, they are alive. But how tragic the story would have been if that would have stopped there. If they were stuck in the cave. But encouragement came as one by one, starting last Sunday, going through last Tuesday, they came out of that cave and they are completely healthy and fine. They are transformed from death to life, from being lost to now they are found. True transformation brings about so much encouragement. And people all this week that I talked to about this story were so encouraged by the transformation. How much more should we be encouraged by the transformation that God brings about in people's lives? It's absolutely amazing. But I want to be clear about one thing. The thing that brought about the transformation in the lives of those in Corinth was the gospel. Paul boldly proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, look at verse 8. It says, I'm not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you. Though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. Paul spoke boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
He wasn't a motivational speaker for those, those in Corinth. He didn't give them some self-help tips. He didn't say, hey, come along, little buddies. No, he spoke boldly. He said, you are caught in sin. You need to turn your life around and turn to Jesus. It was the power of God on display as Paul preached the gospel that turned their hearts around. And sometimes I wonder if we don't see the power of God today because we don't pr- proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to ourselves and to others. The power of the gospel that has the, tra- the power to transform somebody's life. And Paul witnessed that. And so this morning, as I was thinking through the, this, this morning, uh, this whole week, I was like, how can we be filled with encouragement? How can we be encouraged this morning? How can we be filled with joy this morning? What does God want to bring about in our lives that, that would encourage us and, and spur us on to keep going? How does he want to encourage us? That, that lasting encouragement, that lasting joy that will keep us going and going and going. I think the first thing that we have to do on a regular basis is celebrate the work that God does in our own lives and in others. Celebrate the work that God does in your life and in the life of others. I think too often we get to a passage like this and we hear about sorrow and repentance and we want to think about all the things that we haven't done yet in our lives. We think about, oh, how far we have to go, but we fail to look back and see how far we've actually come. I mean, I look out in this room and God has been at work in so many of your lives. So many of you have taken huge steps in your relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, if you think about your life, if you think about where the Lord has brought you from, some of you, probably the last thing, the last place you'd want to be is a place like this. Years ago, you're like, the last place I would want to be is in a church like this, in a gathering like this. But look at where you are today. Some of you, your lives were a mess. Marriages were broken. Relationship with kids was a mess. Your kids, there was trouble in their lives. But through the grace of God, through God appearing and moving in their lives, look at how far you've come. Look at where you are today. And I think we have to stop often and celebrate the work that God is doing in our lives and in the lives of others. It's absolutely powerful. It brings so much joy and so much encouragement. And it's also powerful when we speak that out to one another. When we see God doing things in people's lives and we speak that out into their lives and say, I see this in you, I see that in you, you are taking huge steps in your relationship with Jesus. But we also have to celebrate what God does in other people's lives and even through other people. Too often we can hear stories like this and we can be like, well, God's not doing that in me. And we can become jealous. We can become bitter. And that's when discouragement sets in. But I think when we celebrate what God is doing in the lives of others, that brings about so much encouragement and so much joy. And so what I want to do right now for a couple minutes, I want you to turn to the person next to you. I want to spend just a couple minutes, and I want you to share one thing that God has done in your life recently, in the last year, a change that he has brought about. And also, if you are sitting with somebody that you know, and you have seen a change in their life, I want you to speak that out to them. I want you to say, I see this in you. I see God's hand at work in your life in this way, in this way, in this way. I want us to spend some time celebrating what God has done in all of our lives. And that just happens so well when we speak that into the lives of one another. And so take a couple minutes. Speak. This is like another intermission, but a very intentional intermission. Speak to one another and share what God has been doing in your life. I think it's amazing when we share these stories, when we share what God is doing 
it helps us, us remember who he is. That God is gracious and slow to get angry and compassionate. And when we understand his character and who he is and his kindness, it's what leads us to pursue greater repentance and greater change in our lives. When we understand who he is, it's like we're going to keep pursuing him and seeking after him, and there's going to be ongoing growth that he wants to bring about in our lives. And so if we're going to live this life filled with encouragement and joy, we're going to celebrate what God has done, has done in our lives and done in the lives of others, but we're going to also pursue God's ongoing work in our lives and in the lives of others. We're going to pursue greater transformation in our lives because, yes, we can all share what God has done in our lives and we can see the ways that he has moved powerfully in our lives, but there are also, there are also some other things in our lives that still need to go. See, the good news is that, that Jesus has got a hold of our hearts and he has revealed himself to us, but the good news is that he is not done with us, that he who began a good work in each of us is going to be faithful to complete it. And so there's going to be growth that he wants to bring about in our lives. There are areas in your lives, shocker, that aren't fully yielded to Jesus Christ. And I think it's absolutely wonderful when those areas of our lives, those heavy parts of our lives, those things that kind of weigh us down, when God comes alongside through the power of his Holy Spirit and says, hey, what about this issue? What about this thing? It's not all of a sudden like, ugh. God's going to rip this away from me. No, it's his kindness, it's his love, it's his grace that is pursuing you and saying, you know what? This has to go in your life. This is weighing you down. And I get so much encouragement when I think about the things that the Lord is showing me and saying, Dave, this has to go. Pride has to go. Jealousy has to go. This stuff has to go in your life. Because when those things come to mind, I get so encouraged because the God of the universe sees me. He sees what's going on in my life, but more than even seeing me, he knows the things that are weighing me down. He knows those things that are dragging me down, and he wants to, more for me. He wants to free me. And so as we celebrate what God has done, it should also propel us to pursue more of the change that he wants to bring about in our lives. It's more of that godly sorrow, more of those things that we come across and saying, God, I know this is breaking your heart. I've broken your heart. Forgive me. Help me turn away from this, not just in an attitude, but in action. Help me to run away from this because you want to free me. You want to give me life and give it abundantly. He doesn't want us to be weighed down by all these rocks. He wants us to be free, absolutely free. You thought this was going to go all the way to the top. No. <laughs> I'd have to go get it. There's no Mike Lucas around anymore. <laughs> but this is how he wants us to live. He wants us to be free. And so when we come and we celebrate, it also should motivate us to pursue him so much more. I saw this play out powerfully in the life of my daughter. And she gave me permission to share this because now she's old enough to actually remember what I share. When they were little kids and I would share things from the stage, I'm like, meh, they'll never know. But I was talking about this passage with uh, my oldest daughter, Eliana, and she shared just an incredible encouragement uh, that happened in her life this past spring. She ran track for the, the first time, and she ran the runs, the, the brutal race of the 800, which is two laps around the track, like all out. It's absolutely crazy. And she uh, was in a, in a meet, and she was running the 800, and her coach came up to her and said, this is the place that I want you to get. I believe that you can get in this place. You, 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 you run hard, and you should be able to get to this place in the race. And so she ran. She set off, and she started to run, and she ran as fast as she could. And she got done with the race, and she was one place behind where her coach wanted her to be. Sadness. 
discouragement. She just was broken. She did not do what, what the coach had asked her to do. And so she's coming off of the track. And I'm standing on the outside and I'm watching all of this happen. And the coach goes running over to her and puts her arms, his arms around her and says, I am so proud of you. But, but coach, I didn't get the place that you wanted me to get. Yeah, but look at your time. It's a new personal record. You beat your time. And she said, she said it was his kindness that motivated her to do more. And I think about this. I think about this passage. I think about all the Lord that wants to do in our lives. The encouragement that he wants to bring about. He wants us to remember all that he has done. That he saved you. That he loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus for you. That he's pulled you out of darkness. That he's rescued you and brought you into his marvelous light. But there's so much more that he wants to do. There's stuff that he wants to free you from. And it's not one of him just ripping things out and no, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance, to have that godly sorrow, because he wants us to be free. And so as we transition now into a time of worship, as we wrap up our service, I want to invite our prayer teams to come forward, and this is what I want to have happen. Prayer teams, come on up, and team, worship team, you guys can come up as well. Maybe there's something that you need to let go of. Maybe there's something that is weighing you down, and you need to come and, and ask the prayer teams for prayer. And share that with them, and they're going to pray and minister to you in a way that the Spirit is leading. Maybe you're just coming through these doors, and, and you're hearing these testimonies, and you're like, man, I'm just discouraged. I'm just way down. I don't even know what it is. I'm just kind of discouraged, and I just need to be filled a little bit. I want you to come down and receive prayer as we continue to worship. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I praise you that you came to give life and to give it abundantly. God, I, I thank you for all the things that you are doing in our lives and, and the love that you are pouring out in our lives, your grace and your goodness and your kindness that you, you are showing to us over and over again, and we celebrate the work that you are doing. And God, I ask right now through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would show us areas of our lives that are weighing us down, things that you want to continue to do in our lives so that you can be glorified, so that you can receive the honor and glory that you alone deserve, so that we can be freed up more fully to follow you in all of the ways that you are directing us. God, I thank you for your kindness. I thank you that you are compassionate and slow to get angry. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace that so abounds to us. May we seek you with all that we have in every area of our lives, all for the glory of your name, Jesus. Amen.